It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no. Not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply. Refuse to show vaccine passports. Refuse to wear a mask. Refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now. Um, and those they, they were using those words because the international community of ordinary, non-insane people um, were concerned about biological and chemical weapons, and they were working on international treaties to prohibit them. And so they needed to build in loopholes, and the loopholes they built in were, we're not going to do biological and chemical research and weapons development except for protective or prophylactic or defensive purposes. And that's a false characterization because all biologically active products are intrinsically aggressive and toxic and lethal. And that's where we get disciplines or that's the thing that right, disciplines Chris, like toxicology, they let me in. pharmacokinetics, genotoxicity, um, drug, drug interactions are all related to that fact that everything that goes into the human body or any living body has some effects, which can be toxic. Um, so that was the way they tried to get around that. And then the foundational public health emergencies platform uh, came out in 1983 when Congress passed the Public Health Service Act Amendment, and that set up the public health emergencies program under the 1944 law that had originally set up the public health service, which is a branch of the military. Um, and it also, in 1983, Congress and Reagan set up a $30 million slush fund, and that has continued. It's got a different name now than it did then, but it's still being funded as recently as the, the NDAA and the Consolidated Appropriations Act in December of 2022. The other thing they did in the 80s was set up the 1986 um, National Vaccine Program and National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And that's the one that set up the liability exemptions for manufacturers and funneled anyone who was injured by a vaccine into this different compensation program. And that's been used as a model in since the um, COVID started for the countermeasures injury compensation program. So the international piece the cornerstone is the World Health Organization, which is not a health organization. It's a military organization because of this merger that I'm talking about. Um, it's sort of the military arm of the, the one world government that they're trying to set up. And they did a set of amendments to the international health regulations in 2005 that entered into force in June 2007. And Todd Callender talked about this a lot in his in that that interview. Um, but basically, the IHR, which are currently going through another round of amendments to make them worse, called on national governments to strengthen their own domestic laws and fund more programs for surveillance, testing, 
detention and quarantine, physical control and forced treatment during international outbreaks of communicable diseases. And the pretext that they used, because it was bankers who were doing this, was that they needed to protect international trade from disruptions caused by disease outbreaks. But the real intent was to set up these legal systems that transfer sovereign government from the nation state to the World Health Organization and the BIS automatically when a public health emergency of international concern has been declared. And Congress and U.S. presidents and the cabinet complied with that demand from the World Health Organization. Um, so two of the key years were 1997 and 98. That was when the beginnings of the emergency use authorization program was set up. Um, there, and when they transferred the CBRN weapons stockpile from DOD, um, classification, I guess, to HHS or CDC classification and control. Um, it was the same products, as far as I can tell. It was just a relabeling and a rehoming of them. Um, and the, yeah, the EUA piece, which hopefully Sasha is going to talk about more, um, that was kind of a two step thing. Uh, at the time, the public was really upset about the use of un approved vaccines for anthrax on military troops and the horrible adverse effects they were having. Um, so Congress passed a law in November to so kind of revoke authorization for testing or using unapproved products on military troops. But three days later, in a different law, made it so that the same programs could be done but the target population would be expanded from just military troops to the entire American population. Um, then around 2000 to 2002, using the momentum from 9-11 and the anthrax attacks on Congress, they set up through the statutes, again, um, program management sort of structures. Um, they did that through the 2000 Public Health Threats and Emergencies Act um, through the 2001 authorization for use of military force. And people talked about this at the time. It was construed as putting the country into a permanent state of war, the global war on terror, with every other country in the world. So there was no geographic limitation. There was no time limitation. There was no identified enemy other than terror. Um, and through that, I think other people figured this out at the time and then it sort of got suppressed, but um, it made everyone in the world into a presumptive combatant or enemy target. So it was essentially a de facto covert global martial law um, act by the US government. And then in those early 2000s, we also got the Patriot Act, the Public Health Security and Bioterrorism Preparedness and Response Act, and the Homeland Security Act. And those were just more of the merging of the DHS, the DOJ, the HHS, the Department of Defense, all of the cabinet agencies. Um, so since then, 2003 to 2009, there have been lots and lots of executive orders on these things, lots more statutes and appropriations. 
lots of agency regulations, um, guidance reports that were circulated to state, local, and tribal authorities and law enforcement so that they would know that under a public health emergency, they are subordinated to the federal military. Um, FDA issued a lot of guidance for industry documents and sent those out to the pharmaceuticals and to the academic organizations and NGOs to let them know about how FDA was going to handle experimental products like vaccines, gene therapies, biologics, and they did more test runs like 2003 SARS, 2006 MERS, and 2009 H1N1. That brings us up to the other transactions authority, which I've talked about with Sasha a lot, um, and she's done much more research on it through the contracts. And this was revealed through Pfizer's um, April 2022 motion to dismiss uh, whistleblower Brooke Jackson's False Claims Act case. They said this was not a vaccine. It was a DOD prototype. And we were never obligated to do valid clinical trials. We were never obligated to prove safety or efficacy to anyone. We never had to get FDA authorization through any of the normal guidance for industry channels because it was a prototype. Um, and on October 4th, 2022, the U.S. government endorsed that view and filed a statement of interest and support for the motion to dismiss, basically saying that clinical trials were never material or necessary for DOD to pay the contractors for producing and distributing the bioweapons known as COVID-19 vaccines. And so the, all of this became visible from 2020 to the present when the uh, World Health Organization Secretary General issued the Public Health Emergency of International Concern at the end of January 2020, and the HHS Secretary immediately triggered the domestic frameworks through the determination that a public health emergency exists, followed by PREP Act declarations for medical countermeasures, which are the weapons. Um, and then Congress and the President's Trump and Biden passed several additional congressional acts, um, funding and um, reinforcing the structure of the kill box and issued more executive orders um, under the Defense Production Act, under the Stafford Act, under the National Emergencies Act to sort of build out the program. Um, Basically, what it built is a huge public and private funding stream for military-led um, bioweapons research and use, eliminated informed consent um, by reclassifying people who could potentially be carrying a disease as presumptive national security threats um, so that you can do anything you want to them because you're on a war footing. And to shield the products and weapons from product liability to shield all the people involved from criminal liability and civil liability, and to shield the government funders, developers, and regulators from criminal prosecution under the other laws, which are in place, but are sort of superseded by this, um, this, this framework for use of bioweapons, use of chemical weapons, um, terrorism, things like that. So, so yeah, I can stop there. I mean, Catherine, yeah, um, mm -hmm. if, you, if you could just identify who you see as primarily in control right now and steps, no matter how big a stretch they might be, that might be able to undo 
and bring back our freedoms? Yes. Um, I see it as a joint project between the U.S. Department of Defense, a coordinating committee of that, um, the Federal Reserve, and the World Health Organization and the Bank for International Settlements and the United Nations. But the World Health Organization is like a, a subsidiary of the U.N. Um, and you asked about what to do. There are things that the globalists do not like. They don't like constitutions and charters. They don't like the conflicting statutory frameworks around um, bioterrorism, war crimes, genocide, torture. They don't like any of that stuff. They don't like when states and provinces and counties and like towns pass their own laws protecting informed consent, um, protecting people from for consumer safety. They actually put out a report in October 2022, state laws limiting public health protections hazardous for our health. And there's a whole bunch of things in there that states have started doing that the globalists do not like. So doing more of those things, more bringing control back to the state, more using Article 10 of the Constitution to reclaim state authority. Um, those are all extremely useful. And I do think it's going to break. I think there's going to be a tipping point and the, the criminal prosecutions are going to start. And we have all the evidence. And every time they try to answer what we're talking about by saying national security, they reinforce that this is the right way to go. This is what they're doing. They're doing war crimes. Very good. Thank okay. you very much. Um, uh, Sam, are you there? If you could, uh, could you introduce Sa uh, Sasha? Absolutely, Glenn. So first, I want to thank everyone here for attending, taking the time out to do this. Uh, a lot of work went on behind the scenes here. Sasha and Catherine in particular have been uh, working the circuit, and it's been very tiring for them. So with that said, uh, Sasha is a former CEO and owner of several contract research organizations and a direct consultant to the pharmaceutical industry for 25 years. So Sasha has worked very hard at um, creating or, or, or uncovering a paper trail, uh, which you'll hear about um, implicating the Department of Defense and several other uh, allied organizations uh, in what you're about to hear. So uh, without further ado, Sasha, you have the floor. Uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, one correction, I was not the CEO of my company, so I, was, I wasn't owner, though. <laughs> owner, excuse me. You, you took the smart route, the owner yes. route, not the CEO route. <laughs> uh, yes, so, um, yeah, and um, regarding, so regarding the documentation, uh, Catherine already covered a lot of uh, legal history and a lot of um, issues that I typically bring in my presentations. Uh, the confirmation, yeah, I started looking at it from the pharmaceutical non-compliance uh, angle uh, over, a, you know, about two years ago now, and uh, I, I immediately uncovered huge uh, deficiencies and problems with how the uh, development of these so-called vaccines, they're not vaccines, they're, they're biowarfare agents, uh, and so I un uncovered a lot of irregularities from the regulatory perspective, from quality perspective, manufacturing problems, and it was very uh, puzzling to me until I, uh, I found uh, Catherine's um, research and read it. 
uh, it was very puzzling to me why no regulatory agency in the world was taking any enforcement action on any of this. Uh, so not, not um, the side effects, adverse events, deaths, horrific injuries, horrific numbers of injuries, uh, very obvious. And uh, so no regulatory agency was able to find them. Still, they can't. Uh, and uh, the, uh, they also never took any enforcement action on all the manufacturing non-compliance violation of all the uh, good manufacturing practice laws, distribution laws, good laboratory practices, and import-export rules. Uh, so none of this is being enforced, and, and uh, that was the biggest question to me until I found uh, the legal basis, and that immediately the, the universe started making more sense. Uh, because it, it really this is what it is. This is uh, a military operation. This is a military, um, it's, it's war crimes and atrocities covered up as a health event. Um, so when I, what I cover in my presentations is also a, a number of inconsistencies. But by the way, all of the materials I'm covering are public documents. They have been public. They're not secret. Uh, they have been public for a long time now, some from the very beginning, some were more recently available available through FOIAs. Um, and uh, what was immediately evident, and, and that this was public since 2020, is that in the U.S., the response of the government to this so-called pretend health event uh, was uh, as if they were responding to a war. And um, they put National Security Council in charge of COVID policy. This is completely irregular because uh, it, according to all previous plans uh, for pandemic preparedness, except the 2020 version, uh, the uh, HHS was supposed to be in charge, which is reasonable because they're a health agency. Uh, now we have National Security Council in charge. National Security Council is consists of uh, primarily defense and intelligence heads and does not have any health representatives on it. Uh, then further, Operation Warp Speed from the very beginning was advertised to us as, oh, you know, military is just going to help with logistics, where uh, their own documents presented to uh, vaccines and uh, related uh, biologics advisory committee in October 2020 demonstrate that uh, that's not quite true. The organizational chart uh, is headed by the Department of Defense, their chief operating officer. Uh, Two-thirds of leadership is uh, uh, military. And most of them have no health experience. A lot of them are high-ranking uh, military, such as generals. Uh, so uh, what's going on? And then uh, also the whole organizational structure, while it includes pharmaceutical companies, it's also very, very top-heavy, the government. So as Catherine said, it's a government merger with pharmaceutical companies, which is different from treating them as private manufacturers violating good manufacturing practice laws. As I said, that, that part is not being enforced at all. And the only reason that's being allowed is because they are now part of the government. So they've merged with the government and, they're, uh, and the government is giving them tremendous amount of money funneling billions into them so that they just shut up and follow the orders. Uh, and in fact, it's the government, uh, you know, headed by uh, Department of Defense reporting to the, to the Fed, reporting to the international bankers, uh, is running this campaign. They're in charge of designing so-called clinical trials. They're in charge of uh, all the uh, administration of them, manufacturing, systems, security, uh, legislative affairs, and legal affairs. So the Department of Justice is their lawyers. 
So uh, Department of Justice were defending Pfizer's commercial interest in court where Pfizer lawyers didn't even bother to show up. That's just another demonstration of that this is a government operation. Um, also, uh, BARDA and Operation Warp Speed bragged about awarding tremendous amounts of money, billions and billions, you know, half a billion to two to 10 billion for Pfizer. And uh, all of these contracts that became available described the scope as uh, large-scale manufacturing demonstration, prototype, countermeasure. Um, also, the same contracts uh, define out of scope clinical trials, preclinical trials, uh, chemistry manufacturing controls, and good manufacturing practice compliance out of scope. The government never purchased it. The government never paid for it. Uh, and in fact, as Catherine has demonstrated, uh, because of this use of emergency use authorized uh, countermeasures under public health emergency cannot constitute clinical investigation statute. That means that the FDA has no business regulating these things and they know it. They absolutely do know it. So do the top, top uh, senior executives of pharma companies, yet they proceed pretending that there were these uh, so-called clinical trials and preclinical trials and compliance. Um, so that's that's the biggest lie that was sold to the American public, that this is a health event. It's not. That these are vaccines. They're not. Uh, it, it is a military operation. It is biowarfare, terrorism and atrocity conducted all over the world. Um, and they're using biowarfare agents and they want to inject every person numerous times with them. Um, so uh, I think at this point, that's that concludes my presentation. I can answer questions. Glenn? Yeah, we lost Glenn. We've lost Glenn. Okay. So uh, that being said, thank you very much, Sasha, for that. So I just want to remind our viewers here that um, uh, the documentation that Sasha has based her research on is all publicly available. And Sasha Latipova has a substack, Due Diligence and Art. I would encourage anyone, especially if you're watching this in the replay, to uh, check out her substack as well as Catherine Watts' substack, Bailiwick News. That's B A I L I W I C K News. N is a nice E W S. Uh, check those out. Um, Catherine, correct me if I spelt that wrong, but I think I got it right. So, Glenn, did you want to open up the floor now to questions or did you no, want no, no. Dr. We, we, myself two, to speak? We have, we have two more presentations. So, if you could go ahead and introduce. Uh, uh, Dr. Altman, he's, he's just going to be very brief and talking about his international knowledge of what's going on with uh, Sasha and Catherine. Well, you just introduced uh, Dr. Philip Altman. So uh, Dr. Altman uh, was a consultant in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, Dr. Altman, I would like you to just elaborate on that because I know you were heavily involved with uh, an agency in Australia, uh, but to the viewers, he does not have an Australian accent, so don't be surprised by that. So, um, Dr. Altman, if you could uh, just give us 10 seconds of intro and then take it away. Sure. I've been involved in all phases of uh, drug development and yeah. clinical trials and drug regulatory affairs. I said CODA. More than I said CODA. C-O-D-A. Yeah, CODA's right there. Trevor, could you mute yourself, please? I'm so sorry. Um, I started Australia's first full-service contract research organization, um, and I've worked as a staff member uh, for Big Pharma or consulted for more than 50 multinational uh, drug companies in my career. Uh, I've also dealt with the Australian TGA and other 
drug regulators around the world uh, for several decades. Um, so I'm I'm quite experienced in this in this space. That is for sure, uh, Dr. Altman. So would you please uh, give us your thoughts and your professional um, comments regarding the presentations of Catherine and Sasha? All right. Well, for, uh, I've, I've been looking at the uh, COVID-19 so-called vaccines uh, from the beginning. Um, and uh, I began to see the problems uh, come about. Um, I couldn't understand what was going on. People um, uh, used to ask me, why is this happening? Why are there so many adverse drug reactions and deaths? In fact, as we know now, these COVID-19 vaccines, so-called vaccines, they're really not vaccines at all, as Sasha has correctly said, have produced more deaths associated with more deaths and serious adverse events than any drug in the history of the pharmaceutical industry. And I have to say, uh, if any other drug was associated with 1%, less than 1% of the problems associated with these products, they would immediately be taken off the market. And I couldn't understand why the drug regulators weren't responding, why they haven't acted, why they're denying the deaths and the serious adverse events all over the world. And now we, we're seeing the excess deaths all over the world, which have occurred right after these vaccines, so-called vaccines, were introduced. Now. I couldn't understand what was going on. It was uh, uh, something that that was uh, uh, beyond recognition in my experience in the industry, in 40 years in the industry. And then Sasha came forward and explained to everyone, and Catherine Watt, explained to everyone exactly why this has occurred. These products are not pharmaceuticals in the conventional sense of the word. They were not developed like pharmaceuticals, like Big Pharma would develop them. They were developed under the command and control of the U.S. Department of Defense. There's no doubt about that. That is not a secret now. And they had no obligation to ensure the quality, the safety, or the efficacy of these products. And that is why we're experiencing all the problems that we're seeing now. Glenn? Thank you very much, Dr. Altman. Um, that covers uh, the, the legal and the, uh, the safety side of, of the situations. We, we have two more quick presentations. Uh, next, we're going to have Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers. Uh, retired uh, from the military, uh, but also a doctor, and he's going to speak to us around the conditions that were occurring inside of the military uh, before his departure. Colonel Chambers. Yes, I'm up. Uh, thank you for uh, having me on, and uh, Glenn, you're, uh, you're, a, you're a godsend to us. 
Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, thank you to Sasha and Catherine, because in, in Sasha's words, uh, the universe just made more sense to me over the last several weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm here to explain to you what it looks like on the ground as these pictures are painted in a 40,000 foot view, if you will, or a strategic view. And what it looks like at the tactical level on the ground as the, as the guy and, and my past is 39 years in the military as a enlisted person and then a Green Beret paratrooper and then became a doctor and then flight surgeon. And I was one of the uh, four whistleblowers from the DOD side that came out and testified to Senator Johnson on the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database. That's a mouthful. Uh, but in looking at these things from my foxhole on the ground, when we were responding to COVID initially in the state of Texas, where I was working on Governor Abbott's task force for COVID response, um, I was watching things uh, unfold that uh, when we didn't know what it was, was this going to be some kind of terrible, uh, based on the uh, Imperial College of, of London's model, that uh, we were expecting catastrophic uh, casualties, and that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, question marks came up, but uh, we were happy that, that that happened. However, I was quickly forced from that job because they needed somebody in the field to then go out and do PCR testing. And I'm going to tell you how these things look on the ground. And this is important. Uh, after the PREP Act, which was around 2005, and the Turning Point Act, which prepared the states to um, prepare for pandemic, to be, be ready for it. And that's everything from testing quarantining, quarantining in camps, uh, and, and, uh, and the shots to be created, which I didn't know. And I, I, I call them countermeasures now because we are at a, in a fifth generation warfare. Uh, these countermeasures were created. And uh, it was our job in the state to go around and test civilians, but also to test. And this is what, this is what really gets me, guy from Texas, Oklahoma border. Uh, we shut down the meatpacking industry. And how did we do that? Based upon PCR tests. And when PCR tests showed up, we started uh, testing large facilities, 8,000 people in some places, uh, 10,000 workers. And uh, nobody was sick. Nobody was exhibiting any symptoms, but there was a high rate of uh, positives. And we found out later the PCR tests were not to be used this way, as I've never used them like this in the ER as a screening tool on asymptomatic patients, that we would shut down the meatpacking plants. And so as we started shutting down Tyson's, a huge one in Amarillo, huge, the largest uh, meatpacking plant in Texas, uh, Pilgrim's Pride, uh, Jimmy Dean, these were all falling by the wayside and being shut down to quarantine these people who were not sick. Uh, but what that looked like was what then made me go into uh, question mode was, what are they doing to my soldiers? And I was, uh, I, I've testified in SEALs versus Lloyd Austin in Tampa with uh, Liberty Council and uh, helped with uh, Todd Callender in uh, Roberts v. Austin. And uh, those are court cases against the DOD. And uh, when you look at the, when you do exactly what Sasha and Catherine did, which I did it for the state of uh, Texas and the state of Alaska and Idaho, was I presented them with a 30-minute talk on what the, what the Turning Point Act was about, what the PREP Act was about, the Model State Act. These are things that have been codified into law. And if we add the exords all the way back as far as I could go, which was George Washington Bush, and then uh, all the presidents to include the, the uh, warp speed uh, creation, the, the countermeasures now we know were created by the DOD. Now, when you consider what the DOD did in 2013, they created the Defense Health Agency. And in 2013, that DHA um, was created 
then to subsequent years in 2018, develop a memorandum of agreement between the Defense Health Agency and the HHS. All right. Now, here's where the here's where the uh, important part comes in, is that in 2019, you have a uh, NDAA, the first NDAA where I could find um, where public health falls underneath the Defense Health Agency based upon that previous year, 2018 Memorandum of Agreement. So subsequent NDAAs all the way to the last one, which I was on the Hill for uh, talking to congressmen and senators on both sides to try to lift the mandates off the military, which is a national defense nightmare right now. And we are not uh, we are not even close to what the recruiting uh, requirements are to, to be able to fight on two wars in this country, which is a national defense nightmare. But now when you pair that up with the WHO pandemic treaties that are coming on WHO um, and then the the usurping of HHS underneath the Defense Health Agency, you can understand why they would take a soldier like me off of uh, National Guard orders and put me on a 502F, and that's a Title 32 order, which is active duty. We got activated, which is used in time of war, and it's used in time of um, pandemic, who was not in the in the, the listing, but uh, national crisis. So. When COVID-19 became a thing, and of which, you know, in my research, 70 some odd patents were created before COVID was a thing. And you see that a lot of those are tied to companies that uh, are third party, not military related and not uh, state related. Uh, and I'll give you a prime example. The company that runs our DMED data system, Defense Medical Epidemiology Data, it's the company that runs the data systems is called Unisant. Unisant gives information to Pfizer, Moderna, Janssen, uh, AstraZeneca, on the the damages that um, were encountered by soldiers. This is operational security stuff, and it's getting out to foreign companies through a third-party company in Herndon, Virginia, named Unisant. So you can see that when 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 that memorandum agreement took place, I'm going to read this: the Global Health Engagement Partners in World of Government Approach. That's what the DoD writes about. Develop relationships between Department of State, HHS, Department of Agriculture, USAID, the NGOs, academia, and private sector to include Pfizer, Moderna, BioNTech, et cetera, and companies like Unisant under funding which came through the CARE Act. There's another one more important point, and I'll be done here. And this is uh, this is very important. If we want to find a quick fix to this thing, think about what the Congress is doing right now, the people that hold the purse, Okay. The people that hold the purse are the ones spending the money. They could right now, under an appropriation bill, stop what's happening in the NDAA because the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, only provides guidance for as how defense funding should be spent. Congress approves the actual funding with appropriation bills, but also can disprove it. So I'm going to leave it right there, and that's just kind of the tactical situation on the ground. Thank you very much. Colonel Chambers, uh, for, I, I, I don't think I heard you say it, but uh, uh, he's been caught in a snowstorm. That's why he's in his car, uh, but uh, was diligent enough to, uh, to make sure he got a good signal and connected in with us to share his thoughts. Okay, so um, we're now going to switch to uh, Dr. Sam Dubay. Uh, he's going to speak a little bit around uh, the, the elements of going local and and with this knowledge, how can you protect yourself? Uh, how can you get uh, <clears throat> uh, apply some actions that can help the overall effort 
uh, as well as protect yourself and your family. Go ahead, Sam. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Glenn. Uh, real much appreciated. It's an honor to be here. And uh, once again, I want to thank our audience uh, for bearing with us and for paying attention. Thank you so much for this. And uh, you heard uh, Catherine Watt, Sasha Latipova, and uh, Colonel uh, Chambers speak. And uh, the implications are absolutely ominous. They're absolutely ominous. And so the question begs to be asked, what can we do? What can individuals do um, in order to protect themselves, to facilitate uh, uh, survivability, for instance, um, given everything that's going on, and especially with the uh, the globalist effort. So one thing you should leave this uh, video uh, with is the knowledge and um, the, the steps that clear actions can definitely be taken starting today. Um, clear actions uh, under the banner of going local or the term localism. And these actions are based on shared trust um, between individuals, groups, families, and communities, and um, the tendency for humans to form social groups uh, in a way that no, no animals, as we know, can. Um, this is also to promote self-sustainability, uh, interdependence, and common awareness um, by uh, promoting uh, relationships of, between individuals, family, uh, and community groups. And so this is to support the individual God-given rights that our forefathers envisioned, codified, and died for, and is in direct opposition to the collectivism espoused by the globalist effort to control, surveil, restrict, censor, manipulate. I can go on and on and on and on. This is basically the group of people, the you'll own nothing and be happy group. And we, we, we cannot allow unelected, unaccountable, international, super wealthy uh, people to penetrate, penetrate elected government and to enact unvoted on policy. It's that simple. So there are definitely things that we can do. And by localism, we're not talking about the 15-minute concept here, the 15-minute city concept. This is to decrease freedom. This is to enforce uh, people to stay within regions. This is the implementation of um, protocols to punish you, to, to, to inactivate, for instance, uh, CBDCs, that sort of thing. So we can break down these actions into various um, uh, interdependent and interwoven categories. Uh, one of them is, for instance, uh, medium of exchange. So, for instance, use cash. Use cash as much as possible. Okay. So, for instance, use cash to pay gas, not on a credit card. That way, they can't tell where you're filling up, when you're filling up, and where you're likely to be headed. Um, in terms of banks, try to stay with community-owned banks, not shareholder-owned banks, so that any profit can go back into the community. Another category would be health and healthcare. So the big buzzword here is self-responsibility, making proper lifestyle choices, being educated to, to make the proper choices, exercise as medicine, perhaps reducing your empty carbohydrates, maybe, maybe a paleolithic diet, vitamin D supplementation, and to form a network of local health experts focusing on root cause as opposed to just symptoms, focusing on prevention as opposed to dealing with consequences years later from bad lifestyle. Another category would be food and uh, produce. So going local in your purchase uh, of, of food, and that is to patronize farmers and, and local uh, pr uh, producers. Um, 
your own garden. That's at the uh, extreme end of the spectrum, producing your own garden, learning to store food in those climates where it's uh, it's feasible and, and, and necessary, uh, learning to can, learning to preserve and having a source of water. Okay. Now, what about something like education? So it doesn't mean everybody has to be homeschooled, but definitely forming uh, some type of group, maybe having cooperation, identifying the, the people with skills to teach. You want to teach usable skills. You want to teach objective history. Remember, history is written by the winners, right? And we've seen the rewriting of history lately. We want to teach things that can help to promote ba uh, uh, bonds uh, within a community. Um, you also uh, have a stronger sense of self-identity. So teaching dance, music, sports, um, 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 Many people helping to educate the children and the young people. Learning is lifelong. Lifelong learning should be paramount. And remember that self-improvement improves the community. That should be our motto and our attitude. And this also leads into uh, doing things in person and staying away from social media or minimizing social media. You know, the, the, the number of dopamine hits that you can get from validation on social media, it, it can be very, very addictive. And so remember what Dr. Ryan Cole said, real life happens in person. And so we want to establish meetings. We want to teach each other. We want to have not surviving parties, but thriving parties. And we want to have as many face-to-face -face meetings as we can because humans are social. And there is a lot going on there with a face-to-face -face communication interaction that we, we can't account for, a lot of intangibles. And this goes also for speaking to your local politicians, your congressmen and women, your members of parliament in Canada and the UK, Visit them on weekends if you have to. Tell them that you want a meeting in person. Tell them that you want you have a group of people that want to talk to them. This is all about establishing common awareness and being self-sustaining. And remember, it doesn't really matter anymore if you're injected or uninjected. We're all in this together, and unity is the way forward. This is how we're going to affect change. This is how we're going to protect ourselves from protocols and enactments that might reduce our food supply or water supply or power supply uh, might try to divide us more. We have to be conscious of that and we have to unify. And I'm Sam Dubé and thank you for your attention on that. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, again, we're, we're a group of, of that want to point to action. So we're, we're giving you information, but we're saying, what are the things you can do with this information? How can you take it forward? And uh, there's two big items here. One, one is that uh, the, the approach of the globalism needs electronic connections. It needs mechanisms to control you and your life. And, and that's what we need to, to push back on. So the more you go to face-to-face -to -face activities and, and local players, people you trust, groups you, you can form, there's so much more that can happen and progress can be made. Another, specific, another specific area with this set is Congress has been allowed to put the laws in place that that gave the power and the authority uh, to these groups, and they can take that power away. So we we encourage you to be prepared to contact your congressman. Um, but one of the ways to do that is to to join with other people locally and to say call as a group to to the congressman's office and say not only are we interested in giving you our opinion, we want to have a dialogue. Now this is a part of the First Amendment, the petitioning your uh, your your government for 
uh, <clears throat> to petition them for grievances and to ask for redress. In this case, we have a grievance. You've taken away our our, our freedoms. You've lied to us. Uh, we we don't think that's the way to run a democracy, and and we want those laws that put this system in place withdrawn. So, uh, contact your congressman. Ask for a meeting. Let the scheduler know you want to have a face to face meeting. Uh, every congressman comes uh, back to their districts frequently and can easily hold a, that kind of meeting on a weekend. Simply press forward. Don't allow them to say, well, it's not convenient. It's their duty to have that a meeting with you. Again, this is a part of the First Amendment that legislatures must be prepared to, to, to take requests for petitions uh, of grievance with redress uh, in, in order to get a, a result out of that. Uh, anyone else that's in the Zoom call, please uh, uh, you raise your participation hand. And uh, so if you have questions. Glenn, if I can interject just for one moment. So I just want to uh, mention once again, we do have resources. If you check the, the description and um, uh, Catherine Watt and Sasha Letipova both have sub stacks. Catherine's is a bailiwick news. That's B-A-I-L-I-W-I-C-K-N-E-W-S. Uh, and Sasha's is due diligence and art. It's exactly how it sounds. Myself, I have a podcast called The Fifth Doctor because historically four out of five physicians have sometimes recommended things that were either useless or very, very harmful. And science is not consensus. Science is not a person. Also, our uh, technical um, skill behind the scenes is Vlad Tepes. Vlad has a, a blog site, Vlad Tepes blog. That's V-L-A-D-T-E-P-E-S-B-L-O-G, full of uh, very interesting and informative articles and links as well, uh, and including links to support what we're doing here today. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Chambers, I'm unaware if you have a, a website or any other resource, if you could just pipe in, that would be wonderful. And I also want to mention um, to the individuals out there, reporters, uh, anyone that has questions, um, just remember that we're all human beings here, and I would in, in very much encourage uh, responsible and respectful discourse in uh, asking questions. So with that, thank you, Glenn, for allowing me to interject that. Very good. Uh, please understand, everyone, that this is the first step. This will be a multi-process uh, that we go through. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> these, this particular stream that's being done live to Rumble right now will be available there for replay. Uh, send it to other people that you know, especially uh, uh, people in the press or, or uh, politicians that can take action. While the fastest route for us would be the U.S. Congress to take action and remove the power that they granted to, to these uh, uh, different elements. Um, but certainly another element of it is that the, at a state and a community level that you have legislative mechanisms. Uh, and uh, and health mechanisms that that you can apply to to take control and to limit the things that are going on with what we think is a very dangerous injection. Uh, one of the common. You're, you're muted, Sam. May I interject one more thing for those of you that are only uh, privy to the audio? Dr. Philip Altman also has a Substack. That's Philip with uh, two L's. P-H-I-L-L-I-P, uh, Altman, A-L-T-M-A-N, and, and that's .substack.com, obviously. So please use that as a reference as well. Forgive me, uh, Dr. Altman, for not being aware of that. Thank you, Glenn. Sorry. Well, let me open up with a question for Sasha. Various people will say, gee, it's, it's not a, 
a pharmaceutical uh, drug with FDA screening. Uh, it's simply a DOD uh, uh, vaccine, but it's still a vaccine, isn't it? And so why can't we just sit, uh, uh, assume that it's as safe as we've heard? Uh, you know, what's to counter that? Tasha? Well, you cannot assume that something is safe. That, that's why we have pharmaceutical regulations have had, I mean, they're destroyed now, um, effectively, but uh, we used to have pharmaceutical regulations that were put in place over about 100 years of bad experiences and, and uh, trying to uh, improve our safety, improve the uh, quality of manufacturing, consistency, traceability, um, uh, you know, origins of the ingredients and so forth. So there's extensive set of regulations that apply to uh, pharmaceutical products in general, to vaccines, although historically, uh, you know, vaccines have, have always had issues and not quite as well addressed as for normal drugs. Um, but, you know, you can't just assume it. That's what you have to test it. You have to demonstrate it, document it, verify it. Uh, and none of it was done here. And that was my, my issue with it from the start. You know, why wasn't it done? And more importantly, why was not a single regulatory agency in the world using their enforcement power of which they have plenty uh, to stop this so so that's that's why i'm saying you know they may give them names like vaccines but uh, legally they're in a category of countermeasure which is very poorly defined uh very open to you know you can hide all sorts of things in it uh, and, uh, you know, so, so legally, these are not pharmaceuticals, not vaccines, they're countermeasures and prototypes uh, made by the military. Well, as, as with any product, aren't, aren't these produced and, and uh, the results uh, tested for, for consistency? What's, uh, uh, what, do, what do we think is occurring instead? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? With, with virtually any kind of product cycle, one has a, a quality program, a quality control program, and they take samples of those and they, they measure what's in the product to, uh, to make sure it's consistency. I mean, this is uh, true for, for even simple things of uh, vitamin C, other kinds of supplements. They go through a vigorous review of what is in, in their contents to, to verify it and, and uh, to know the quality and the, uh, the absence of, of contaminants. Yes, that's true, but that hasn't happened here. And in fact, uh, for these products, uh, they, there are no even tests defined by the manufacturer at the vial level. So there are some tests not sufficient, in my opinion, and you know, I can go into an hour explanation why. Um, so there are some tests at the bulk material level, and then there are no tests for consistency, conformity, purity uh, at the vial level. And no tests are possible at the dose level, which are manually prepared. So by design, this product is open to adulteration and falsification. And this is, in my opinion, what has been done uh, all over the world uh, with, the, with these products. Sasha, it's Trevor. I, I have a quick question for you, if that's okay. And, and mm -hmm. I, actually, it's, it's open for the, organ, for the group. Um, you know, in, in 1976, Mike Wallace at 60 Minutes exposed the swine flu vaccine and all of the injuries and, and even deaths that had occurred from the swine flu vaccine. And that was 1976. Today, uh, we are largely blacked out by 60 minutes. I can't get anybody from 60 minutes to return a phone call on this issue. 
what do you feel like has happened um, where at one point, <clears throat> 60 minutes in the media looked at them, kind of viewed themselves as crusaders wanting to educate the public and to keep Americans safe and to keep the public safe to today. It seems all they want to do is keep their, um, their accounts they may have with big pharma as advertisers safe. Uh, it's really despicable. And I'm just wondering if you have any comment on that. Well, yeah, this happened. Uh, of course, media was a very important lever. And uh, for the longest time, it was being captured. It, it was captured by the, by the government and by the perpetrators that are trying to commit this, this um, atrocity currently. Uh, well, they captured them through uh, money, you know, endless stream of, stream of money uh, in exchange for compliance and following orders. And that happened not just to the media, which is, you know, extremely important in propaganda, um, but it happened everywhere in academia, in uh, uh, private businesses, in finance, um, not just the banks, uh, but the venture funds, private equity funds that are supposedly funding technology startups. Well, a lot of them are fronts for, uh, for military, DARPA, BARDA, intelligence, um, CIA investments. Uh, so again, the, the, the government comes with a, a truckload of printed money. We know that trillions have been, you know, there's, there have been more dollars, about 50 or 40, uh, 40% more dollars printed in the last few years versus ever in history. So they, they print endless money. They roll up the truck or bring the helicopter, throw it onto the businesses, finance, academia, schools, colleges, uh, and just say, here's a, here's a shower of money, just comply with this, inject everyone, force everyone into masks, uh, force everyone into, into lockdowns and stop working on legitimate um, things, but, but work on these nonsense, uh, nonsense technologies. And I, I call on all professionals in my industry, start speaking up. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You all know. Uh, and you're just all silent taking, taking this, money, this blood money and uh, pretending like nothing is happening. So that, that's exactly what's going on with the 60 Minutes, with any other media organization that, you know, used to be, you know, criticizing government and being and doing journalistic work and now seem to be uh, all, you know, f following the science at the speed of science, which means that just at the speed of, of, of how quickly they get paid. If I may interject. Um, this is Vilan from the Patriot Party podcast, uh, speaking about the media, specifically in 2012, Obama undid the Smith-Munt Act, which disallowed propaganda in the media. So basically, he allowed propaganda in the media and allowed the government to fund it. So since 2012, essentially, our media has been state-run, state-controlled. We just weren't aware of it until now. Absolutely. That's correct. And Sasha, actually, uh, I'm sorry, I had a question from my audience as we are we're broadcasting this live here as well. Um, doing a special broadcast just for y'all. We'll be back on at six o'clock tonight for our regular show. Uh, let's see. Ellsworth said, I have a question. If Sasha has any ballpark estimation of what the total dollar value of all the contracts involved for those contract contracts worldwide uh, willing to sell their souls. Any idea of how much they sold us for? Total estimate ballpark? 
Well, I don't know worldwide. Uh, Barda gave a number, but that's just Barda. It's not. Um, it's not everything. So Barda reported that in the last uh, 18 months, they spent uh, $47 billion, uh, on these kinds of contracts with private industry, of which $33 billion went to the vaccine R&D. But that's just BARDA. We know that total for COVID countermeasures, there was something like $5 trillion. And again, this is U.S., uh, Probably, you know, a bunch of it also went abroad, but I don't know. But, you know, other governments likewise funded the same, the same nonsense, the same atrocities uh, in the same way as the U.S. did. So it's, it's a staggering amount of money. So here's another question on the quality, Sasha. Um, Chris Martinson with Peak Prosperity. Uh, has been involved with some other parties and has reported back certain various kinds of contaminants. Uh, one set of those were uh, shortened strands of RNA. Uh, I was wondering if you could uh, say, state why that might be a problem for people being put into the injections in their arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this was known for a long time. This came from, first came from uh, leaked um, documents from EMA, which were uh, leaked at the end of 2020, uh, sometime in December, and they relate to documents that were compiled at the end of November uh, 2020 by European Medicines Agency uh, reviewers when they were reviewing Pfizer documentation for chemistry manufacturing and controls right before the uh, global authorization. And uh, at that time, there were huge issues. There were not just this, but there were over 100 objections raised by the reviewers at the European Medicines Agency who were under impression that they, they were doing uh, legitimate work, whereas they were just unwitting participants in a show. Um, the EMA did not have any authority over these products. And actually, this was recently conf confirmed by FOIA. They did not have delegation of authority to review and approve these products, yet they were all engaged in this sham review. So the sham review found this issue, the breakage of RNA. Uh, and that was known also in science for, for a very long time. This was one of the main obstacles why this pro these products were never approved for anything, uh, because you cannot make the um, uh, intact RNA to high standards, especially when it's a very large strand, like is, is claimed to be here over uh, 4,200 uh, nucleotides in length. So when it's long, it's unstable, it breaks in manufacturing. Uh, what regulators found based on Pfizer's own test results in bulk material is that, um, you know, the quality went down very significantly, especially in this parameter when they scaled up. And uh, it went down from average of, let's say, 70% of intact RNA in the, in the bulk material. Again, we don't know what happens in the vials, uh, to uh, less than 50 in some batches. And uh, at that time, they were scrambling. It was a major objection brought by the EMA. There were, I have emails. I'm going to be publishing on which discussed this specifically. The reviewers were very concerned. They said this is a genetic impurity, very high genetic impurity, and uh, we need to resolve this. I'll do some sort of a comparability study, redo the clinical trials because this was different. You know, in clinical trials they used one process. Here they're using different process. Um, so they didn't know what to do, and their solution was to just arbitrarily lower the standard of acceptance. So they set the standard of acceptance at 50% of intact RNA molecule in bulk material again. So it means that, you know, if you imagine uh, trucks going over the border 
is supposed to have customs declaration. Customs declaration is supposed to specify everything that's on the truck. In this case, you can, as a customs officer, you can only ask for what's in the 50% of the truck. And then the other 50% of the truck, you can't ask, you can't know, and nobody knows what's in it. Um, so that's exactly how they set the standard. They're saying, oh, we're specifying this molecule, this RNA that's going to, you know, train your immune system. Um, but it's it's only conforms to that specification 50% of the time. The, the other 50, it's it's just like, you know, if you break a shard, you know, break large pane of glass, you're going to have like big, big shards, small shards. Somebody can be killed by it. Others can be injured by it. Maybe there's nothing happens because they're too small. Maybe a lot of things happens because they're small and somebody ingests them or inhales them or, you know. Um, so that's that's what happens with this. We, we just don't know, except it goes into your cells and it breaks in your cells. Um, and there's no way to get it out of your cells other than your own cells, you know, fighting it and, and, and trying to get rid of it. Um, so that's that's exactly what what this is. It's it's kind of like it's it really by design a very clever weapon, uh, but it's similar to shrapnel, to other you know explosions like this, where it's unpredictable how it's going to break and what what impact it's going to have. So can you tell us? Uh, you mentioned the EMA and the fact that there were a number of items highlighted. As, as objectionable and needing to be corrected. What, what was the outcome of, of those objections? Uh, as far as I know, so uh, the EMA um, issued, as, as you remember, they issued conditional marketing authorization, which is uh, uh, it's almost like a full approval as opposed to EUA in the US. Uh, they issued conditional marketing approval in which there were all these gaping holes and they, and they, and they put a bunch of conditions as part of conditional marketing approval. So, for example, the characterization of the actual spike protein that's supposed to be produced by these products was one of the conditions because Pfizer never fulfilled it. In fact, Pfizer submitted fake test results and obviously fake uh, for, for that category of, of their submission. So that was a condition to fulfill. It wasn't fulfilled. In February of last year, EMA simply abandoned it. And as I said recently, they admitted through FOIA that they that the EMA did not have authorization from the state secretary of health, which is equivalent to HHS secretary in the U.S., to review and approve these products. Uh, so that just confirms what we've been saying: that review was a sham review. They they accepted fake tests. Uh, they found a lot of issues, never did anything with them, did not enforce anything, can't enforce anything because they were just forced themselves to abandon the main requirement that, we, that, that was put on this as a condition of approval. So if that kind of, of overt lying is going on, aren't these officials afraid of that fraud being discovered and, and it being prosecuted in the courts and they're being in jail? Well, um, they must be afraid of something to behave this way. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think people need to get educated on this topic and, they, and we need to uh, prosecute them. So there, there are some cases that are ongoing 
currently, for example, there is a, a case was filed uh, for criminal criminal liability against Swiss Medic, who you know Switzerland um, version of FDA, who did exactly the same thing as as all of them. So uh, there there should be more cases like this uh, going after individuals. Uh, in these agencies who did this without authority, authorization, um, who knew. And, and by the way, I am pretty certain that not a lot of uh, people in the regulatory agencies were actually understanding what's going on. Uh, they, you know, it's, there's evidence that majority of them thought that this was a valid exercise and approval, and only a few at the top were aware that it wasn't. Um, so that's that's kind of you know how this how this scam was run and, and and yeah there should be prosecutions of these officials who 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 knowingly did this and actually even the ones who were sort of unwitting accomplices that there are questions about their behavior as well uh dr altman uh can you give us a little more of a international perspective and the kind of uh dialogues that have occurred and, and the things that have have happened in australia with the tga Yes, well, look, it's it's been uh, quite a trip uh, because uh, uh, I've seen nothing like this ever before, where the censorship has been massive concerning the uh, adverse reactions uh, to these drugs, and our TGA um, has uh, only admitted to at the moment. I believe 14 deaths uh, caused by the vaccines and no children have died according to the TGA. That is a massive cover up. This is this is uh, just a scandal of proportions the world has never seen. Uh, what happened here is that uh, we have a provisional approval system in Australia. And uh, that's similar to the EUA system. There are some, some differences, but under provisional approval in Australia, um, things can be put on the market. And this uh, has only been a mechanism which has been available since 2018, by the way. And what it means is that uh, you could put on the market some uh, drugs which have limited safety and efficacy information, right? It was really intended for um, uh, uh, use uh, in uh, 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 rare conditions, right? Serious conditions, uh, not to be applied to uh, vaccines, to be given to the whole population, to be given to uh, uh, healthy people, uh, pregnant women and children and infants, um, there's limited safety and efficacy information on these dossiers. If you, if you read them, they're publicly available. And I could never understand why these things were released. And our health experts were saying they're safe and efficacious. You cannot say that they're safe and efficacious if the normal safety and efficacy uh, data was not submitted does not exist. And uh, uh, for two years, 
I could not understand why our TGA, which is the equivalent of the US FDA, was not taking any action. And now I understand it. Sasha has explained it, and Catherine has explained it. These are not normal pharmaceuticals, which have been researched in the normal way. I've been in the business for 40 years, and I know how meticulous uh, Big Pharma is to ensure that uh, they comply with, with all the guidelines in terms of drug development. Um, and, and yet now with the Department of Defense actually in charge and calling these things countermeasures, these so-called vaccines, they don't have to comply with any guidelines. Uh, so what Sasha is saying that uh, it, it appears that the US FDA has looked at these things and said, yes, they're okay, they're safe and efficacious. No, it's all theater. They're not safe and efficacious. They're, they're causing the highest incidence of serious adverse events and deaths in the history of the pharmaceutical industry. And what I'm talking about are only really the short-term effects we haven't even touched on what the long-term effects of these gene-based products are. And, and that is a serious, serious concern. And there are a number of, of, uh, uh, of uh, predictions of uh, cancers uh, and uh, heart disease, uh, which are now beginning to emerge in terms of the excess death data all around the world. And this is a critically important point, that these excess deaths, that is deaths above what you would normally expect from year to year, they have jumped about, on average, about 17% around the world. And only a small part of that 17% can be ascribed to COVID-19 deaths. The rest of them are completely unexplained. And yet they have occurred only after the introduction of these gene-based so-called vaccines. They are a disaster. The wheels have come off them. They should never have been approved, and they should be withdrawn immediately. Thank you for that information, Dr. Allman. And on behalf of the morally grounded people in the U.S., I have to say we are so sorry that our military has done this to the rest of the world. All right, can we go to a question from David Dermer? Actually, uh, uh, Daria uh, Schooler, Dr. Schooler has had her hand up for quite some time here, Glad, If well, we could I, allow- she's, she's part of our team, so we'll, we'll take her next, just uh, so we're working from an external. Oh, I see, no nepotism. All right, well, that's fair. <laughs> I can wait, it's okay. Thank you. Um, David Dermer, I'm a member of American Chemical Society, and I describe myself as an activist. Uh, I have four questions I could ask. I'll, I'll try one and see if you like it. Uh, I wonder if there's a regulatory false equivalency that could possibly be exploited for people in Europe. Uh, the United States in general treats uh, GMOs as substantially equivalent to natural organisms. Um, and because of that, they classify them as grass, generally regarded as safe. Uh, in other words, uh, I would expect 
American regulators, if it comes push to shove, would say uh, one mRNA is going to be uh, substantially equivalent to another. And uh, you're talking about variations in batches. I would think that would be a selling point to the industry that they would be able to, uh, once they get one type of uh, mRNA product on the market and it's considered safe, that they'd be they would have an open road to push additional products. Uh, so that's one question. If I could, if anyone has any comments on that, I would, I would think Europe may not be so inclined. Anyone feel qualified to respond to that question? I think it's a, a little off the, uh, the main pass of some of our expertise. Uh, want to go on to your second question? Sure. Um, so um, I'm, I'm kind of leading into the second and third questions being about the tent. Um, I'm wondering, I, I've heard that uh, uh, Pfizer and Moderna both license the technology from Department of Defense. And if so, um, could this just be a, a a group of people that were pushing a, a new disruptive technology? Uh, the market capitalization for food in the United States is about $2 trillion, while pharma is less than a trillion. So uh, the amount of money that's been guaranteed for purchasing these products over the last several years has significantly increased the market share for big pharma in the United States. Um, in addition to that, I know that uh, for genetically modified foods, uh, U.S. aid was trying to tie um, aid to Latin America, South America, to um, accepting uh, genetically modified seed uh, for the recipient countries. And the corollary for the, uh, for the MNR take technology from, uh, excuse me, Pfizer. And uh, specifically, I think they were um, negotiating something like uh, treaty concessions from South American countries for um, having uh, military bases from the United States placed there permanently or for a lease period of several decades. So could, could, you, could you possibly attribute a lot of this activity? I know you mentioned that several intelligence agencies were involved, um, but could you attributes uh, this to uh, just a, a general desire to open up a new market for American technology. Thank you. Can I, yeah, I, I'll answer briefly. And then unfortunately I have a limitation. I have to go to a meeting. Um, it's, how should I say it? Um, okay. If, if I, if we roll out, uh, poison gas and call it um, perfume uh, and the government sponsors a whole bunch of it, you know, new scents and um, gives a bunch of grant money and licenses IP to do it, but it's still poison and it kills people. Is that desire to open the markets for new technology? I mean, I, I, I really, I really question people when they bring this up, and this, this, this was brought up to me before. And they say, "Well, you just don't understand. It's like you know, the, the the military developed internet, and look, you know, how wonderful it is." And they just, you know, 
pushed it and, and made it happen for American companies. I, I, you know, guys, we, we have incredible death toll and injury toll. This is not how we develop new technologies. And, and I, I spent a whole career developing new technologies, licensing AP from academia, uh, actually I licensed some AP from Pfizer, uh, and, uh, you know, raised funding from private investors. And I tell you definitively, this is not how it's done. You don't take poison. You don't, you know, give people billions and trillions to comply with it and to shut up and censor everyone and, uh, you know, isolate everyone and, and propagandize everyone and, and drive fear. All everything that they've done, this is not how you open markets for American companies. Sasha, before you go, I, I have a specific question on a topic I know you've covered in the past. Uh, we as a group did a, uh, uh, a, a interview with uh, Dr. Cole and, and Dr. Uh, Kirk um, on sudden death, and, and that's available in, in, our, in our, uh, our Rumble channel. You can see that from uh, from a couple months ago. Um, the the uh, um, one of, one of the items that we that the common conclusion is virtually no one under forty was was seriously affected by by the virus, but has been significantly affected by the vaccines. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, uh, can you address what's going on inside the colleges? And since all of virtually all of their population is under forty, how is it that uh, they were being pressed upon to uh, to to be taking under under requirements of attendance to to have the uh, injections? Well, the colleges receive money from the government. They receive money from state. They also receive uh, uh, if if they're if they have large medical centers attached to them. Of course, they're big recipients of government money, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, research funding from NIH. They're captured in a variety of different ways through money, through grants. And uh, obviously, the the larger, actually, the larger the academic institution, the worse it is because the, they're more dependent on that money versus tuition or any other sources of funding. And so they, you know, as you know, the majority of colleges in the U.S. and had very draconian vaccine mandates for their students, uh, still do. Uh, many have very draconian vaccine mandates for their students because their condition uh, of receiving money from the government, but they don't have the same mandates for their staff. Uh, so uh, I know, and this was, um, you know, over a year ago uh, when Cornell, for example, rolled out a vaccine mandate for their, for their students, uh, I have friends whose children attended, uh, they imprisoned them in their, in their dorms. They, they did the, the Chinese style, you know, like recently China had zero COVID policy. Well, uh, th that was implemented at Cornell. At that time already, there were five students who were dead, not suicides, um, sudden deaths. They were walking back from cafeteria at night and dropped dead. Uh, and that was not explained at all. And that, that was a year ago. I'm sure there's more now. Uh, my son attends a small college that had, you know, not so draconian vaccine mandate. A lot of students were vaccinated. He witnessed uh, a, a student having myocarditis in class. That was very dramatic. 
you know, we I, I can go on and on and on. There, there, there is a student who recently dropped that on Dartmouth College, where, where I went. Um, I wrote to Dartmouth and I said, I'm not going to uh, financially support you anymore. I was, a, I was a, you know, giving them donations every year. Um, and the development office wrote back and said, we understand. That was the answer. So th that's what they do. They take money from the government on the condition of compliance. The same happens with schools, um, you know, uh, primary education, uh, the, the school boards take money on the condition of masking children, forcing them to, you know, PCR testing them and driving these, these uh, you know, vaccination campaigns. Uh, there are also, you know, schools get uh, thousands of dollars to do uh, vaccine clinics on site. Uh, they're, you know, they give money to students. Uh, we also know of many cases where the students were injected without parental consent. And then it was just, oops, we made a mistake. So just, the list is, is endless of what's going on. There are hundreds and hundreds of companies and organizations that are associated with this uh, uh, cam marketing campaign to uh, avoid hesitancy, and, and those monies come down. This is one of the issues uh, for those that have been watching closely with what's going on with the uh, NFL. They will not report back what's going on with, with their players. Uh, the, the recent case would be a very simple and straightforward MRI, cardiac MRI, to determine was that, that heart disease associated with the, with the vaccine, and they won't run that. They, or if they did, they won't let us know the results. Okay, I, I'm, I'm Glenn, sorry. I think, I think, yeah, I we really to... need to acknowledge that Sasha has to go. Yeah, Sasha, I want to thank you so much for your participation here. And uh, we, we've already mentioned the resources that people can pursue your Substack uh, and Catherine's. I'm sorry that we lost Catherine as well, Glenn, but uh, she also had to go to attend another meeting. Uh, Dr. Schooler, uh, you can still ask your question, but Sasha will be uh, forced to leave now. And hopefully someone here will be able to address that question. So Sasha, thank you so much for your time. And we hope to see you again soon. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Sasha. Thanks so much. Bye. Um, okay. Can you guys hear me all right? Yes. Dr. Yes. Schooler uh -oh. is a retired... Everything just Schooler. froze. Yeah. Your, your visual just froze, but we can Everybody hear you. Everybody here? Yes. Yes. We can hear you. I can hear you. Dar Daria, are you there? Daria is a retired pharmacologist and neurosurgeon, originally in private practice. Uh, Daria, can you hear us? Okay, well, I'll read Daria. I'm going to stop question. her video and see if that helps her audio. Daria, uh, they hear us now? All right, Sam, do you have a question? I, I have. Yeah, one wait, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to. I'm just going to read uh, Doctor Schooler's question here. It was put in the chat a little while ago. Uh, Catherine, before you leave, my question is whether any other vaccine currently on the schedule was released as part of a declared state of emergency. If so, are these also military bioweapons as well? How can this get audited? That was Dr. Schooler's question. Is there anyone here willing to address or comment on the question? I can, in a, in a modest way, this is going back many more years, uh, and it is with the anthrax uh, vaccine, which happened to be uh, also developed under the bio um, uh, mechanism of the countermeasures. Uh, that was only given to soldiers, uh, so it never made it to the broad public um, and there was a large amount of reactions. Uh, there was a large number of, of, uh, of, uh, 
um, pushback from the members of the military, and eventually that was paused uh, and stopped. However, that the mechanisms that were used to pause that have since been covered up. The, uh, the there's stronger laws in place that don't allow that blockage to occur. Now, uh, perhaps Colonel uh, uh, Chambers can comment on that, but I'll also give you the the question, to Colonel Chambers, of uh, uh, if you know the answer to the anthrax and in, in its history, please let us know. But separately, uh, you I think you have some strong opinions around informed consent and and how that's been dealt with uh, in, inside the military. Okay, I'm I'm up now. I hear you. So uh, on the anthrax, yeah, that that uh, that those laws have been changed through the years to where we cannot fight it the same way. I mean, it's just uh, it, it's about impossible. You're recreating the wheel at this point, and there are attorneys out there that are doing that. Uh, but it's 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 a difference, and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to comment on that side. But to me, the understanding is it's the difference between common law and statutory law, and that's where uh, the international courts really will come into play on that one. As far as uh, informed consent, yes, informed consent was a thing in the military uh, under Army regulations for me and the Army side, and that was uh, usurped the day that I was told by a two-star general, it's not about the science chambers, it's about the policy. Now, in, in reading the substacks of, uh, of uh, Catherine's, I can see now, and that's why this is an eye-opener for all of us, uh, I can see now how the... Uh, those regulations were set aside. Uh, the Army also, under the Defense Health uh, Agency, took emergency use authorization and basically said that by giving uh, basic licensing agreement that it is approved, forms came out for, to us, sent down to us through fragmentary orders that said they are approved. Because when I said these vaccines are not approved, only Comirnaty is, and it was approved for a day, um, the response was no, the, the BioNTech or Pfizer or Moderna is uh, equivalent because of the basic licensure agreement. So the, the shell game was played on, on, the, on the tactical level. I can't speak for um, where that came from other than the highest that I got to was the De Defense Health Agency, the leader of that. If I may, I, I can, uh, I have something on the the anthrax vaccine because i was actually going to bring that up as well when you asked about the vaccines um my husband did 21 years in the army special forces uh 19 combat tours he's one of the most highly decorated soldiers that the army ever produced and in the middle of his service he had a pretty significant injury um an avm in his corpus callosum and had a, a full craniotomy after an embolization so Long story short, we know a lot of the top neurosurgeons, top doctors in Bethesda and Walter Reed, uh, where he was treated. And they gave him five years. That was 18 years ago. He's still, he does a show with me every single night. So he's at work right now. Um, so they don't always know what they're talking about. But one of those doctor friends of ours is now at NIH and he is doing, a, we'll call it an off the book study on how the anthrax vaccine, specifically the third and fourth series, interacts with the COVID jab. Um, and so far, from what I understand, he has found that anyone that had anthrax three and four, specifically both of them, have no spike protein, no adverse reactions, no evidence that the COVID vaccine was ever injected into them. 
So um, my husband was a part of that study. He got the jab December of 2020. He was one of the first ones out because he was a firefighter after he got out of the service. Um, he has, again, no adverse reactions, no evidence of spike protein. It's like he never took the jab. Uh, doctor said his blood is, hematologist said his blood is completely pure. Um, and everyone that they have tested, as far as I know, that had anthrax and the COVID jab is pure. So, Are you saying so, that anthrax is a vaccine to the vaccine? I I can't confirm that 100%, but that is, so far as we know, that is where this study is leading. And I, I find it really, really interesting. I was listening to a show um, the other day. Um, the gentleman's name. Well, what is, what is your name, up. Patriot Party po uh, Podcast? Sorry. I'm V. Lynn. I'm sorry, V. D. Lynn. V. Lynn. V. Lynn. Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. We no. didn't. We, we we didn't know. No, so that's okay. hello, V. Lynn. Hi. Um, but a lot of the same people that were involved in developing the anthrax vaccine were also involved in the creation of mRNA and the development of these poison death shots, as I like to call them. Does anybody anywhere think that they would ever create a poison death shot like they did and roll it out without? An antidote? And I mean, not that anthrax is pretty. It's not. It's it's horrible. Um, my, my husband had a number of anthrax shots, and each one was worse than the previous, to the point where the last one, he was sick for two weeks and thought he was going to die. But he didn't. And when he got the COVID jab, he had, again, no reaction whatsoever and no evidence in his blood now that he's ever taken it. So, I wonder if they're passing out the anthrax at Davos. It's a great question. Um, yeah. Colonel Chambers, uh, I, have, have you heard anything or through rumors of, on this topic? Uh, negative. I don't have anything on that one. So uh, I'm not aware of that study. I, I can't comment. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, we want to stick with the facts. So I've not heard anything either. Um, it is entirely I did have off a the book. question. I'm sorry. It is on the books. It is I, off, maybe it you is can off the books. It is entirely. It's off. off the, oh, the it's off. The, yes. That's why. Okay. Yes. Okay. Wow. That that. Wow. Well, that opens a can of worms. Um, v Lynn, I did have a question for you. Um, it will seem a little off the beaten path, but as we know, there's a media war going on out there. And when you mentioned that, I believe it was the Obama administration that rescinded that uh, you know the Propaganda Act. Mm -hmm. you, I think you mentioned in 2012. And we had something similar here happen in Canada. I don't remember the exact year, but I think it was shortly before uh, the uh, the uh, the pandemic was declared. A coincidence? I don't know. But anyway, what was the official justification for rescinding that that act and allowing mis um, shall we say inaccuracies? to be propagated through the media. What was the official justification? How did they sell that? Was it voted on by Congress? Was it something that was, did it bypass uh, the, the legislative body? Was it something that was passed uh, without that? Like, how, how do you how do you sell these things? And I'm, I, this, this is a demonstration, I think, of sorts here. I'm trying to get to a bigger problem. Um, things like that, you, you don't sell. You just, you, you do it under, the cloak of darkness in the middle of the night by executive order with the stroke of a pen and then the media is in your control and you can cover it up right away. Most people have no idea. I, so is Congress aware then? I mean, I, I would think they should be, but is Congress aware of anything? They, they get bills three hours in advance that are 4,000 pages long. 
And I think that's a part of the, the reason we're having this podcast is, is to make people aware that there's legislation that's been passed. Uh, these three pillars, the, 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 the EUA, the OT, um, um, uh, other, other trade authority, OTA and the PREP Act are used as the pillars of this stool to, uh, legally uh, have these injections, uh, property of Department of Defense and, and, and thus as military countermeasures, not privy to or vulnerable to or, uh, uh, um, requiring, uh, um, safety and efficacy trials. They're not considered clinical trials when they're disseminated to the public and, um, medical, uh, informed consent does not apply, right? Um, uh, to summarize that. So a lot of things happened at, best unbeknownst to Congress. And at worst, there was some compliance. There was some complicity there. Um, and so people need to be aware that these things are happening all the time. And, and the same goes for Canada and the same goes for the UK. There's things that they attempt to get past without the public knowing, bypass legislation. The the bodies don't don't check each other anymore. The judiciary no longer checks the executive branch. Things get passed through the legislative branch. Like these things happen and we don't even realize that they've happened. You know, in multiple countries, in particular the US, where this this legislation was laid out over the course of what appear to be decades. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this all of this has been planned for for decades, I think probably since the end of but maybe even since before World War II, um, this is this is a long game. And in America, we don't we don't know what the long game is. You know, we think two hundred years is a long time, and then Europe they think uh, two hundred miles is a long way. So yes, it's, it's, it's <laughs> very all, true. It's all perspective. Um, but this, yeah, this is this has been in play for a very very long time, and there are so many different heads to the Hydra. Everything. There are no coincidences. Everything is planned. Even their incompetence, their apparent incompetence, I believe, is planned. Um, everything we see is designed to make us react a certain way, to do a certain thing. Um, and what now they just, I believe they just uncovered the the WHO's uh, pandemic response or vaccine response that went out to all all the politicians, everybody at the the World Economic Forum, um, before they rolled out COVID, that literally outlines exactly what to say in response to vaccine hesitancy. You know, if someone says this, you respond with that. If someone says this, you know, you say that. I mean, they they laid it out step by step. Everything was planned. So I don't know that they expected to get quite as much pushback as they have, but they they have so the same on, playbook they're just going to do it over again so on one hand we have this paper trail that sasha and catherine have meticulously traced with publicly accessible documents but on the other hand it looks like that the dod involvement may be the, the tip of an iceberg uh and there may be involvement international uh involvement which is is as i mentioned before very ominous and that it, it's it's not necessarily just about the injections which I think is pretty clear to most of us now. I mean, when when you look at it, and um, one of the uh, Viral or someone that develops vaccines brought this point up, but 
when all different pharmaceutical companies choose the most toxic part of the virus in order to make the vaccine all independent of each other, which goes against everything for making vaccines that goes to intent that goes to planning in such a way that there's, you can't overlook it. No, they all came up with Um, the same shot. They all had the same recipe. Where did that come from? I would uh, ask Vlad, are you there? Because I think it's, it would be great to have you comment. I know you always uh, have some great comments formulated or a point of view that we might not have um, considered. If you're if you're there and not frantically working the technical, what was that? I'm I'm glad that the technical thing seems to be working without me having to pay a lot of attention, which is a nice change. Fantastic! I think it'd be uh, great if you could make a, a comment or com- several comments. Thank you. It was very, very flattering that you feel that way, that my opinion has that, has that value. I can tell you, this takes a lot of digestion. This is more than my, my mind is blown. This is a complex restructuring of the way one, one approach, what our, what our civilization is and how it's being run. This requires me to think of it uh, in terms of potential information and attack vectors as well as the information I'm hearing. It, it's a complex, it's a very, very, very complex and multi, multi-dimensional problem. And uh, I'm going to have to go over all this material a couple times before I even have an opinion to, for myself as to what as to what I'm hearing. I'm very grateful to everybody, everybody that, is, that is speaking. And I, I think, uh, you know, it's... It, it uh, requires a massive response. I mean, it's just a very, 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 very profound thing that I'm hearing from, from some people. I, I do, I have spoken, I can, can only augment though, that I have, I have an interview with people that will that advocate groups, Canadian military personnel, that were badly damaged by another vaccine, which the military was forced to take for allegedly from, from malaria. Which was particularly unusual since malaria has so many inexpensive and effective prolaxis and treatments already that they had to take. To take I wish I could remember the name of the name, but it was a really dangerous fact. Vaccine caused mental damage that may have been responsible for profoundly violent behavior in a number of soldiers, uh, in, including incidents with soldiers and their and their families, as well as incidents in Somalia where certain things happened that were attributed to the vaccines and the entire regiment was, was disbanded because of behavior which was, was likely caused by the forced acceptance of this particular malaria vaccine. So uh, it, while it may not, not be on, on this panel's radar because uh, I, I've just been uniquely Canadian, there's another data point, and I, I, I will remember I will find out and remember, remember the name of this, this product, and I will, uh, I'll chirp back in when I, when I find it. Okay, and when you chirp back in, I think it, you might have to mute one of your mics because you're a little choppy, and I just want to reiterate that you were talking about a, a malaria vaccine to the military and that there is effective prophylaxis for it because you, you blanked out there momentarily, Vlad. So Vlad Tepes of Vlad Tepes blog, uh, a broadcaster and uh, uh, journalist for, for decades, actually. Um, so thank you for that, Vlad. Much appreciated. And pipe in whenever. 
I think we're getting close to the, uh, the end of this show. I just wanted to alert people again. This is the first of many steps. Uh, we did not overtly go out and, and attempt to get any politicians from, from the U.S. Congress uh, to attend. Uh, but that is a, an area we'd like to have some con, some discussion and, and uh, some dialogue with. So if, uh, if you know any congressmen or any senators and, uh, and you think that they're aware of some of these things and would like to join the dialogue, by all means, uh, uh, reach out to them and, uh, and get back to us through, uh, through, uh, Trevor FG, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the email address that was listed in the, the, uh, the press advisory. Um, again, we're, we're, we're looking to spread the word. We want the everyone to start talking about this topic and, and don't be confused by it. It's a different avenue of the vaccine. And, uh, and so, uh, when people say, well, what are you talking about? The response was, well, of course, the DOD vaccine. Haven't you heard? That that's actually what's been going on, and that we were simply told it was going through the the process, the normal process of pharmaceuticals, and in fact, it has not been. And this is not just conjecture or or opinion. Uh, this is contracts and law, as has been laid out by Sasha and and Catherine. So, Doctor Schooler would like to um, ask yeah a question. one one quick question slash point. Uh, we've been talking about the tip of the iceberg. Well, you know what I think the iceberg might be, and this is where we need people like Catherine uh, to do their digging, is how many other vaccines that are in vaccine schedules on the market pushed into children uh, for decades, how many of them were implemented in a state of emergency at, under a military response. Uh, Catherine laid out the historical aspects of this, but the, the big question I think is going to be, can we audit all these prior vaccines and how they got put in these uh, schedules to find out um, if any and or all of them operated under this same Department of Defense bioweapon uh, protocol and as such, are they bioweapons too? Uh, trust in vaccines is dwindling rapidly. And I'm speaking um, on behalf of patients, parents, uh, concerned caregivers, uh, clerics, everyone who knows that this has been a very dark period in our time for health. I think public health has become an oxymoron. And I think we got to find out, is, is this system corrupt to the core, and has it been for a long time. Vlad shared with us a quote from a book from 1900, Vaccination, a Curse and Menace to Personal Liberty, with statistics showing its dangers and criminality by J.M. Peebles. That was published in 1900. I think we need to really roll back everything and take a good hard look at this. And this is the big threat to um, the so-called industry, uh, the health industry, the medical industry, the pharma industry, and the military industrial complex, uh, that people are now balking at these, uh, uh, you know, the emphasis on vaccines. And the bottom line is, if humanity has survived and thrived for millennia, 
without getting jabs in the arm. Why do we risk extinction if we don't get them now? You know, that's kind of my doctor obvious question. So again, I think we've been led into a false demand for a false product that is really not providing the benefits that have been advertised and uh, touted. And it may go well beyond the COVID vaccine. It may go far, far back. And many of the vaccine reactions we're seeing now from these COVID shots um, have been iterated in the past in, in various forms from other vaccines that are on the market still and still wreaking havoc to children and adults. And there's a lot of questions about autoimmune disease and all these other conditions we're dealing with now in society that one must ask, are we not looking for the right cause here? Are we not connecting these dots because there's all this so-called plausible deniability in terms of the time frame between injections and when the body will have a, some kind of backfire response that's been giving another illness that requires more pharma intervention, for example. And, uh, you know, I put my CV in the chat for those of you who don't know me. Uh, feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is in there and I'm happy to help any way you can because I'm like a dog with a bone. You give me a, a topic to dig on and I'll dig until my eyes start bleeding because I want these answers too. So I want to thank everybody for letting me participate and uh, happy to help any way I can. God bless everyone. Thanks. Thank you very much, Daria. Um, I want to alert people that uh, um, many of you are aware that we did an earlier show uh, back in, in uh, uh, November with uh, Lara Logan and uh, Sam Dubay and Sasha Lodipovich. Uh And uh, we think that went very well. We, we expect to be doing a, another show with her or that she'll be sponsoring a, a show uh, that's associated with, th with this topic. Again, uh, we believe this is an ongoing thing. That we, we think this is a critical for the awareness to occur that, uh, not only that additional press get in the game, you know, for instance, where is Fox News? Why are we not hearing anything out of Fox News? Uh, uh, where is Congress? We're not hearing anything out of Congress. Uh, it's, it's time that that awareness get out there, uh, that it's, uh, people aren't hiding from the topic. Uh, uh, Laura Logan pointed this out that for a lot of people, the, the transparency of knowing what's going on, even if it's terrible and evil, uh, rip off that Band-Aid, recognize what the problem is, and, and then start to make plans on how you can work out of the hole you're in and, and we're in. And, and one of those elements, is, as we've said, is, is going local. The, the quicker people get engaged in doing things face-to-face -face in a, uh, a trusted manner uh, where where they turn off their online mechanisms, they, they put away their plastic cards uh, that the globalists and the international uh, banking and the international corporations that have so much authority over us now that we take away that authority, we back to the place uh, that at its origins, the origins of everything uh, human that uh, that that uh, evolved out of out of face-to-face -face groups uh, in teams. And, and the, both the spiritual and the moral, uh, pleasure of getting together with other humans. Let's, let's be on the right side of humanity and join together in this, in the center and, uh, and make our progress. Anyone else with a closing comment before we, uh, close up for today? Excuse me. I, 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 yeah, sorry. I, I, 
I just just found the name of the product. Product. It was a drug called uh, mefloquine, also yeah. known as Larium. And uh, uh, the interview that I did with the the the, the older leader of the group, looking for awareness and compensation on this, I just put it in that. So, so there you go. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Glenn. I just want to thank everybody involved here, particularly our speakers, Catherine Watt, Sasha Latipova, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Chambers, uh, Dr. Chambers retired, uh, as well as uh, Dr. Philip Altman, uh, yourself uh, for uh, uh, conceiving this and acting on it. Trevor, uh, working behind the scenes. Um, sometimes he works so hard, it's hard to tell if his video is actually frozen or if he's actually uh, caught in concentration. Vlad Tepes, also behind the scenes. You guys are actually sticking with us here, Scott, uh, and uh, um, in particular, uh, V. Lin, uh, who dedicated a, a special show to this. So I want to thank you. Much appreciated for that. Trevor, there you are, buddy. All right. Everyone's been phenomenal. Thank you so much. You've and been Glenn, phenomenal. Thanks for being our fearless leader. And, and and Dr. Schooler, Daria, also, uh, Glenn, without you, you know, we would be so, so lost uh, in, in so many ways. And uh, you really provided some impetus, uh, guidance and inspiration uh, to our cause and, uh, and to the truth. So and for those of you that I've missed, I apologize. Um, Glenn, please, you must have the last word. I just want to remind everyone that this is available for replay, uh, that it is recorded. We have a Rebel channel, uh, L4A TV One. That's Love for America TV One. And then um, I've already mentioned the substacks uh, and websites of everyone involved here. So I'm Sam Dubay, the Fifth Doctor on Rumble. Thank you so much, Glenn, for everything that you've done. The uh, one one quick item is that uh, uh, we've done a lot of study around the issue of sudden death and the fact that, generally speaking, it just does not occur for anyone under 40 years old. And, and even where there, there is a higher incidence of death in, in the older population, uh, that also is very rare to be sudden. You know, think about it that, uh, as, as part of, uh, both a range of testing and, uh, and, and certain kinds of drugs like statins that, that, uh, once, once there is a early event to help prevent, uh, re repeats, sudden death is quite rare in our society up until now. And, yep. uh, we don't see another hypothesis other than the one that's been, been scientific hypothesis that's been put, put forward uh, to cause that uh, other than the, the vaccines. And uh, there's, there's plenty of descriptions of, of the mechanism of cause uh, and the fact that uh, if we were doing autopsies, we would know. But yep. unfortunately, our, our, our agencies have been captured uh, in every every way and in every fashion and they've been showered with money to uh to, to encourage people to stay in that game uh this is what we have to fight against this is what we're going to push back with and uh again uh i hope you all want to be on the right side of humanity and uh and and say this isn't right and uh, this is the local side of this is so important because even if we can't turn back the the global cabal and what's going on next with the WEF and the WHO, uh, you can protect yourself. It's, it's like having a storm uh, shelter for a tornado. Uh, be ready with shields, have mechanisms uh, in place that, uh, that, that you can block off the attacks and, and doing away with credit cards, buying uh, your, your standard activities with, uh, with cash, um, buying, buying your materials from, from local 
uh, farmers, uh, buying from local businesses. Those are all things that uh, take away their power. And the quicker you can do them and build the shields for yourself and your family, the better off we all will be. Thank you very much. If, if I may real quick, and thank you guys so much for doing this. I really, it's it's been fantastic. But I just want to say that SIDS, sudden infant death was very rare <laughs> until infant vaccines were rolled out. And now it's normalized. And 96%, I think I have that percentage right, 96% of SIDS cases happen within 72 hours of an infant vaccination. So, um they were able to normalize that for our most precious gifts, our babies, our future. It's not hard for them to normalize this. It takes this. It takes doing exactly what we're doing right now, right here. It takes this to get the word out. The more we can do this, the more we can talk about it. We cannot let them normalize it because if we do, we truly have lost all of humanity. It will get to a point where, and I fear we may already be close to that, where that, I mean, the trains are already off the tracks and it's barreling towards that cliff and we might not be able to stop it in time. So you've got death rates skyrocketing and birth rates dropping at the same time. That does not lead to a good end. So we, we have to stop getting, people have to stop getting these poison shots and we have to start growing our own food because they're going to start putting vaccines in the food. They've already said that they've come out with that, which means they probably already are. They're also already injecting our cattle. Uh, if you go to a local farmer and you get a cow, ask them, does this, has this cow had an MRNA injection or what's the medical history of this cow? Those are things you need to know. Now go get your own chickens. I'll tell you what I lo I left. I lost my job over mandates, left my job of nine years running a very large hotel, walked away, sold my house in the suburbs, bought a nice place in the country, set up a homestead, got a bunch of chickens, homestool my kids and uh, started a garden. And it's fantastic. Um, COVID was amazing for us. It gave us that opportunity. And I hope everybody can do something similar. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same drastic lifestyle change that I made, but if you're going to survive, you need to learn how to survive, get chickens, um, make friends with your local farmers, uh, make friends with your neighbors, see who's, who's stocking what, who's growing tomatoes, who's enticing deer, um, you know, whatever you need to do, but y'all need to start getting ready. Cause it's, it's not, it's not going to be pretty here. So thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, again, I'm V Lynn from the Patriot party podcast. We're live every day, pretty much everywhere. You can find us at patriotpartypod.com, uh, 6 PM Eastern. Monday through Friday, and then Sunday from uh, 1 to 4. Elin is, is right. Thank you so much, Elin, and uh, the Patriot Party podcast. There's, a, there's an opportunity here to reconnect with or embrace the things that truly make us human. Pro-humanity. Not transhuman, not hackable animals. Pro-human. Absolutely. Glenn, uh, there's two points. Elin? Uh, I'm glad you brought up SIDS because it's clearly obvious that when the SADS designation came out in the media, that's kind of like the cruel trolling that these monsters did to tie back to SIDS specifically because it's now known to be vaccine-related toxicity. So in other words, they were dropping their big hint 
like a giant turd in the middle of everybody's lap and those who thought it was something new no it's something old and also big shout out big shout out to all the undertakers who were brave and spoke up like our good friend john o'looney if they had not whistleblown about their findings and all the cadavers they did finally get access to to preserve and uh, put through the uh, mortician um, embalming process, we would never have been aware of this horrible casting in the vessels that's occurring um, that is clearly pathological and goes far beyond clots. And we've had previous calls on that. Sam and I have been on with John and Maverick and this is now well known that was last summer and again uh, shout out to all the unsung heroes out there who are seeing something and saying something and uh, paramedics everybody on the front line first responders and now we just have to start saying no thank you we don't need a needle to live thank you very much that's right. it we're great. Uh, Vlad, why don't you go ahead and uh, close down the uh, the broadcast stream, and uh, we'll see everyone on our, our next activity. Godspeed, everyone. God bless you for all you're doing. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Likewise. Thank you so much to everyone. God bless. Save the chat. Thank you. Oh yeah, save, send me the chat if uh, I don't have it. I, I can't save it on my iPad. So send it to me, Sam, I love you. Love bye, all you bye, guys. Bye. I love you too. Take care. Love you too, Glenn. Glenn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Share the love, that's part of going local. That's right, that's right. Take care, love Tom too, he just left. <laughs> yep. yep. You guys Shout have a lot of Bruce. fun. F.A. Bruce and, and V-Lynn. Bruce, yeah. You guys are wonderful. What a blessing to get to know everyone. Hey, anyone that wants to come on my show, y'all are more than welcome. Um, we actually have been bringing a lot of healers on looking for paths to help the vaccine injured because I, I truly believe not everybody has to die. There, there, there are options, but they're, they're not critical thinkers. So when they do wake up and they realize that they made a really big mistake and they're a ticking time bomb. They they could very well just die from despair, just from giving up unless we give them some kind of a solution, some kind of hope that, hey, this is what you do. This is what you take. And um, and and this is how you pray. This is how you reconnect to God, um, because that's that's my other thing. I, I truly believe that this job has disconnected people from God at the genetic level and that people need to learn how to reconnect to the to, to the source of of all of us of life um so that's uh v-lynn can you put your contact info in the chat yeah absolutely that'd be great you got it yeah v-lynn i'm happy to share with you what i know and also what i've learned about beamer which is great for circulation and also a lot about spiritual issues as well i'm kind of been a nobody and behind the scenes and that type of thing but if you if you'd like to Get me on your show. That's fine. I'm happy to answer questions people may have. Daria, not a nobody, Daria. Come on. Dr. Obvious, like, that's me. I like bringing on, <laughs> on healers that not everybody has seen. I mean, I've had on some of the bigger doctors. I've had, on, you know, Dr. Fleming and um, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Naputi and, you know, people like that. But I've also brought on like Dr. Brett Barker, who 
most people haven't heard of. He's an awesome um, nurse MD, actually, out in uh, in California. Um, and Diane Kayser, who's a, a naturopath, and Dr. Mark Sherwood, um, who does a functional medical clinic in Tulsa with his his wife. He's the naturopath. She's the allopath. So, you know, I, I try and bring on doctors that aren't necessarily as make the rounds all the time because people need new information, different perspectives. I think that's really important. Well, if all goes well, we're having a conference called Justice for the Vaccinated in er uh, Toronto in early February. And uh, I'll, I'll give you info on that, uh, uh, Vilin. Um, um, maybe maybe there will be recordings there that you can air, sure. uh, whatnot. There's speakers. Um, I'm one of the speakers there. And we're, we're going to try to give hope and uh, action steps for people that uh, are on the border or who have very much regret uh, what, what, what's happened. Yeah. Cause there's, uh, I'm, I may be able to also help you, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll admit it's going to be with some of the bigger names. Sure. Uh, I, mean, I like the bigger so, names too. Uh, so don't get me both, wrong. Both Dr. Urso and, and Dr. Cole, uh, mm -hmm. we've been having discussions with, of, you know, it's not working at the national level. So let, let's turn the, the advice to the local level. Uh, yeah. if we, if we take and, and open up the issue around, uh, uh, sudden death. Um, it's a lot easier at a local level to to have that concern, to be able to express to others around you. Uh, we, you know, we, we need to be aware. We got to have our eyes open. We need to be able to talk about early symptoms. I mean, a lot of sudden death can be prevented if just those people around them uh, knew that uh, there might be something going on with with modest chest pains to, to begin with. That turns into a death in the middle of the night where you don't have a chance. You you can't get a, a professional there to to uh, to uh, get you out of that cardiac arrest. Um, but you could have if if you recognized the early signs and and were in some kind of proximate time period uh, to the to the vaccines and and to deal with it aggressively. Uh, in addition, we we suspect that uh, uh, the the right now it's very very hard to even where someone is contributing toward uh, autopsies to get people to agree to them because of the shame associated with it. Uh, whereas on a local basis, I think it's a, a lot easier for friends or relatives or community members to say, you know, it, it kind of looks like that was a vaccine death. And, and do you really want your loved one to have died in vain versus uh, uncovering the truth and letting that truth get out and, and with it, um the the awareness to, across the board to the public and 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 reversing the, the actions getting action out of the you know and having that bubble up uh through the through the sequence for both local governments and and let's face it if our congress were to get engaged they can undo this in very rapid order i agree i just i fear our congress is 96 percent compromised at this point anyone that's been in office for more than two terms really i consider them to be compromised um because you don't get to that level for that long and stay in office without doing some sh shady shit, honestly so um they they lose their integrity pretty quickly and and i well and they show their it, that's certainly true of, of the senate i mean they only needed 10 votes and they got 18 from the Republicans who all voted against the uh, stimulus bill, mm -hmm. uh, but voted uh, for the omnibus. Uh, that was a show of power by the other side. And uh, uh, <clears throat> there's a certainly a much better chance in the House. And at least now we've, we've got the ability to some amount of oversight 
and and discussion to go on about it whereas prior to the new congress it was completely hidden in the in the cellar yeah my my fear the implications of this coming to light I mean, they were always there, but uh, we had some hope that we were going to be resolved this through the judiciary, through Congress, through the Senate, through the institutions that we've been trained to depend on our entire lives. And now uh, finding out that the DOD has been running this the entire time uh, makes me think that none of that is going to be possible, that we are going to have to we're going to have to do this ourselves. Agreed. And that's why the first step is head down that go local path, uh, as Whitney Webb has uh, described so eloquently in, in her background research. And uh, uh, simultaneously, there can be some things to sort of shout up a little bit and say, uh, can't you come back to humanity, uh, to some of the leadership? Um, so, and, and hope, and most of those kind of things don't don't have high risk as long as you're doing them uh from from your local setting yeah can yeah no i agree and and some local settings are better than others i'm blessed to be here in georgia um which is on you know teeters on the verge of tyranny occasionally well, but i'm in the communist country of china I, there you go <laughs> You know where your governor is right now, right? Yes, he's at the World Economic Forum in Davos. I am very aware. Yes, absolutely. Right there with his buddy, Stacey Abrams. No, I don't think she was invited this year. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's too busy starring in Star Trek episodes. Oh, oh my yes. God. I could not believe that. That was just, I've written off Star Trek, you know, like. Yeah. I mean, they're all friends, so. Vehicle of wokeness. Yep. Well, woke Trek. It's, all right, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining. A great pleasure. Um, again, if you, if you guys want to come on the show, hit me up. I've got to get ready for my show. It starts in an hour. So you'll have a great okay. day. Thank you so much. Thanks Bye for now. coming. All right. Well, well, there we go. All right, y'all. I am going to go prep for tonight's show. Um, that was great. And uh, yeah. Hopefully they hit me up because when I closed that, I lost that whole chat. I had no idea what they were saying in there. So anywho, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be doing that again because they were, they're good. I'm glad I kind of fell into that. So we will be back in an hour with Liana's Lounge. And um, yeah, we'll see you at six o'clock. Thanks for watching.
I stand on what I say And my second amendment handles what I can I ain't tryna be Billy Badass or talk shit I'm just saying, there's the line, don't cross it I got a red rider gun when I was three So I don't run or hide from anything Bitch, I'm a red, white, and blue collar boy from the south You can fuck around and find out Fuck around and find out 